0: Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Kashmir is a land of rich history and deep spirituality. While the last century has sadly seen a lot of conflict and violence in the region, its beautiful mountains and landscape still bear witness to a people and culture that has produced some of the greatest luminaries in human history. From the great foundational figures of the non-dual tradition called Kashmir Shaivism, such as Abhinavagupta Gupta, Udpaladeva, and Kshemaraja, to the great Sufi saints and mystics of later periods, the legacy of these men and women can still be felt in this place. The Sufi tradition of Kashmir is really unique on its own, with the so-called Rishi order at its center, and its foundational figures, such as the mystic saint Nundrishi, serving as perfect examples of the spiritual legacy of this region. But today we're going to focus on another figure that was contemporary with the aforementioned Nun Rishi, A female saint who, while most firmly belonging to the Kashmir Shaivite tradition, also kind of defies any clear categorization. A mystic woman who is revered by Muslims and Hindus alike, and an inspiring poet whose beautiful verses can touch even the modern reader. And her name was Lal Ded. Lal Dead is one of the most internationally famous figures to come out of medieval Kashmir. She lived her life as a wandering ascetic while composing her famous poems, or Vox, that would be orally transmitted for centuries after her death by people from different religious and cultural affiliations. Her life and ideas can tell us not only about the spiritual, cultural, and religious environment of 14th century Kashmir, but also about gender and the role of women in this society, expectations which very much influenced the way that she lived her life. There are many biographical accounts of her life, many of which are probably legendary, and it's hard to know much with certainty. Indeed, the first proper record of her and her life comes in the 16th century in a text called the Tadkirat al-Arifin, by the Sufi figure Mullah Ali Reina, although she is more briefly mentioned in contemporary poetry for instance. With that said, she was probably born in the early years of the 14th century in Kashmir. Some have suggested that she was born and grew up in a village close to Srinagar. She seems to have come from a Brahmin family, thus the highest priestly caste of the Varna system and was married off at the age of 12. This seems to have been a rather unhappy marriage, though, as she already showed signs of a devotional spirit, much more interested in spiritual pursuits than being a wife, for example. She would meditate and visit shrines regularly, which angered her husband, who treated her very harshly. This situation came to a climax when she was around 26 years old and decided to leave her life behind. She left her family to instead become an ascetic and quickly attach herself to the Shaiva saint called Sed Boyu also known as Siddha Srikanta. Becoming his disciple, Lal Dead was initiated into the spiritual tradition of Kashmir Shaivism and was taught by this guru until her training was complete. It's after this that Lala, which is another name that she goes by, really comes into her own. She leaves the protection of her guru and starts wandering. With no home, she became a traveling ascetic, something that was very unusual for a woman. People would have looked with disdain on her and the norm-breaking behavior that she partook in, and a large part of her future life consisted of being shunned by the society around her. This might seem especially surprising given that she belonged to the tradition of Kashmir Shaivism. As we explored in our full video on that topic, the Shaivites generally were not ascetics or renunciants. Instead, Kashmir Shaivism emphasized and encouraged living a householder's life. All the great proponents of the school were scholars and teachers, engaged in society, family and their work, while simultaneously practicing a deep spirituality that included these aspects of life. This was in contrast to many other traditions, such as Vedanta, where renunciation or becoming a sannyasin was much more emphasized. So how come Laldeh didn't follow the same principle? How come she was a wandering ascetic, unlike her Shaiva peers? Well, the simple answer lies in the fact that she was a woman. Women had much different expectations on them than men did, and it was really difficult to live a fully spiritual life with all those expectations that came with being a woman or being a wife, for example. The scholar and translator of Lala's works, Ranjit Hoskote, says, quote, In an ethos where male Shiva questers lived within society, rather than in retreat from it, She could not, as a woman, do likewise. Precisely because she was a woman, whose life was far more closely and rigidly governed by domestic duties and expectations than a man's, she could not lead a life of spiritual aspiration at home, and so was forced to leave it. Thus she became the wandering Lal-Ded, a female mystic who experienced ecstatic visions of the divine and was shunned by some, but incredibly loved and inspirational to others. In particular, her fame would spread from the fact that she started to recite oral poems that expressed her mystical experiences and ideas. These short poems, called vaks, would quickly start spreading and became very popular among certain groups of people. The Kashmiri word vak is related to the Sanskrit vak, which means speech. Thus, the vaks can be translated as something like sayings or utterances. They are indeed short poems, only a few lines each, but often very clear and to the point. Significantly, these vaks were also composed in Kashmiri, which was just emerging as an independent language, and Lal Ded's poems are some of the earliest examples of Kashmiri literature as such. In these poems, we find teachings and expressions of the highest mystical states, as well as some rare glimpses into her life. For example, in some poems, she addresses those people in society that criticized her for her lifestyle. In one of my favorite Vox, quotes Let them hurl a thousand curses at me. Pain finds no purchase in my heart. I belong to Shiva. Can a scatter of ashes ruin a mirror? It gleams. But most of the poems are dedicated to the spiritual path and questions of religious devotion. One of the things that are so interesting about her poems is that they not only include expressions of Shaiva or Hindu philosophy, but also traces of Islam and Sufism through Arabic and Persian phrases. This shouldn't be too surprising, given the fact that Lala lived in a diverse environment where different religious traditions existed simultaneously and were influenced by each other. In particular, there are quite a few similarities between Islamic teachings, as understood through Sufism, and those of Kashmir Shaivism so it would have been kind of natural to implement some of the vocabulary from each other. This also becomes clear when we consider that the Muslims of the Rishi Sufi order still consider Lal ded a founder of their tradition of sorts. There is indeed some disagreement today about the religious identity and affiliation of Lala. Many Muslims want to claim that she was a Muslim Sufi personality through and through, while Hindus will say that she had nothing to do with Islam and is purely a Hindu Shira thinker. The reality, in my opinion, probably lies somewhere in between. It becomes pretty clear when we read her poems that she primarily belongs to a kind of Kashmiri Shaivite tradition in terms of how she expresses herself and the uh, theology and and ideas that she expresses, right? They're very Shaivite in nature from the sort of non-dual Kashmiri Shaivite tradition in general. But there are traces of other influences as well. And the environment of 14th century Kashmir was indeed very different from the very polarized situation that we find today. Um, Thinkers from both of these religious traditions, so Islam and, and Hinduism, would sometimes influence each other. They were in dialogue with each other. This is a perfect example of this. People, you know, representatives from both sides would often comfortably step somewhat onto the other side of the court, so to say, to be inspired and influenced by each other. This is a really fascinating environment in that sense that can seem very foreign when we compare it with the same environment re- geographically that we find today. But again, it's hard not to see the essential imprint of Shaivism in the expressions of Lal Ded. She frequently exclaims devotional fervor directed at Shiva and talks about the unitive experiences as the devotee recognizes her own reality as that one infinite consciousness that is identical to Shiva. Quote, Lord, I have never known who I really am or you. I threw my love away on this lousy carcass and never figured it out. You're me, I'm you. All I ever did was doubt. Who am I? Who are you? The tradition of Kashmir Shaivism is a non-dualistic school of thought and practice within the larger Shaiva and Tantra traditions. Its main figures, such as Abhinavagupta, all of whom lived in Kashmir, created an amazing synthesis of ideas and practices that is now called Kashmir Shaivism or Trika Shaivism. The philosophical basis of this school is a strict non-dualism, where everything in existence is but one thing, Shiva, the infinite consciousness and supreme lord. Everything is consciousness, takes place within consciousness, and expresses consciousness, and that consciousness is Shiva. The goal for the Shaiva practitioner is to recognize this essential oneness of herself and all things with Shiva. Even the multiplicity of the world in all its diversity is identical to Shiva, without ever neglecting that diversity as part of the divine fullness. And these ideas are found all over Lal Dead's poetry Quote, Shiva lives in many places. He doesn't know Hindu from Muslim. The self that lives in you and others, that's Shiva. Get the measure of Shiva. Or, quote, who sees self as other, other as self, who sees day as night, night as day, whose mind does not dance between opposites, he alone has seen the teacher who is first among the gods. In non dual Shaivism, this fullness of Shiva has two aspects one absolute light of consciousness and the self reflexiveness of that consciousness, identified with Shakti, the goddess or divine feminine. It is this pulsating or vibrating relationship between Shiva and Shakti, the sexual act within the oneness of the divine, that produces the world. The world is created by the power of Shiva, which is Shakti, who is imminent in all things and indeed is identical to them. This relationship of Shiva-Shakti is expressed in one of Lala's arguably most beautiful vaks. Quote, I, Lala, came through the gate of my soul's jasmine garden and found Shiva and Shakti there, locked in love. Drunk with joy, I threw myself into the lake of nectar. Who cares if I'm a dead woman walking? In all these poems, Lal Dead talks about the spiritual path of the Shaiva tradition, one that involves a certain level of asceticism, to be sure, but also one that seeks a kind of balance between two extremes. The Shaiva was expected to live actively in the world, after all. With that said, this practice did involve a kind of turning away from harmful inclinations and desires. Quote, "Kill those road pirates, greed, lust, and pride," you'd be doing us all a great service. And then you'll figure out how to reach the true Lord, and you'll see that the world is made of ash. She would practice austere asceticism, staying away from the fleeting desires and lusts of this world particularly those that stem from greed, lust, pride, and anger. But at the same time, like we said, and just like the larger Shaiva tradition teaches, this asceticism should never become too extreme. Since Shiva is everything, including the multiplicity of the world, sense pleasure can be enjoyed, and even sometimes reveled in, as long as it is understood in the correct way, pursued to get closer to God and not for its own sake. Lala talks about finding this balance in the following poem, quote, Gluttony gets the best table in the town of nowhere. Fasting gives your ego a boost. Slave of extremes, learn the art of balance and all the closed doors will open at your touch. While gluttony should be avoided, extreme fasting will give your ego a boost, which is basically the opposite of what you want. So neither of the two extremes are desirable, but rather some kind of balance in between. In these ways, Lal Dad often countered many of the customs and ways of doing things that were prominent at the time. She often criticizes many common Hindu practices such as animal sacrifice and even idol worship. This makes sense within a Kashmiri shaiva framework as that school often neglects outer practices in favor of internalizing those practices to where practice is directed inward within the field of mind and consciousness itself. Quote, My master gave me just one rule, Forget the outside, get to the inside of things. I, Lala, took that teaching to heart. From that day, I've danced naked. Thus, her criticism of many outer rituals of the Hindu religion can often come off as pretty harsh. Quote, you are sky and earth, day, wind, breath, night. You are grain, sandal paste, flowers, water. Substance of my offering, you who are all, what shall I offer you? Shiva is everything, including, as she points out here, the very things that are offered to the gods in the puja ceremonies. How can one offer to God what he already is? And on animal sacrifice, she says, It covers your shame, keeps you from shivering. Grass and water are all the food it asks. Who taught you, priest man, to feed this breathing thing to your thing of stone? Instead, she urges us to focus inward, to forget about the outward practices, pious observances, chanting and sacred scriptures as such, the answer lies within. Quote, when the scriptures melt away, the chants remain. When the chants melt away, the mind remains. When the mind melts away, what's left? A void mingles with the void. When one does this, we instead penetrate into what is truly real, into our actual reality and essence. Quote, I trapped my breath in the bellows of my throat. A lamp blazed up inside showed me who I really was. I crossed the darkness holding fast to that lamp, scattering its light seeds around me as I went. This showed her what she really was, she says. In other words, she realizes and recognizes that she is identical to Shiva, that Shiva is all and everything, the infinite consciousness that is all things. In actuality, things are pretty simple, when we do away with all the complicated rituals and observances, we realize that the answer was right in front of us all along. Quote, He laughs when you laugh, sneezes in your sleep, yawns for you, coughs for you. He bathes every day in the river of your thoughts. He's naked all year round and walks where you walk. Just go up and introduce yourself. It's fascinating that Laudette basically offers us a full rundown of the spiritual path in this way. The Vox give us a view into her mind as she travels inward and eventually as she reaches the ecstatic recognition of reality as it is. Exemplified really well in this poem, quote, When the dirt was wiped away from my mind's mirror, people knew me for a lover of God. When I saw him there, so close to me, he was all, I was nothing. It thus becomes pretty clear the philosophical background that she belongs to, and which she expresses so beautifully in her many utterances. Despite this clear affiliation with the Shaiva tradition in particular, there is still a level of universality in these poems. Lala can speak to a wide audience and touch us with her deep devotion and spirituality. This is perhaps why she is so revered by different groups of people. I should mention, since I've been quoting her poems so much here, that I'm using the translations by Ranjit Hoskote in the collection called Ai Lala, a book and translation I highly recommend if you want to dive deeper into the life and poetry of this great mystic. As we mentioned earlier, she lived in an environment of religious diversity. There were Muslims, Hindus of all kinds of affiliations, Buddhists and other groups living within the same regions. Lal Ded interacted with the Sufis of her day, Were probably inspired by them, and indeed inspired them in turn. In particular, the stories tell of a close relationship between Lal Ded and the great Kashmiri Sufi Nundrishi, or Sheikh Nuruddin Nurani. He is one of the main founders of the Rishi Sufi order, which still dominates the region today, and Nundrishi is considered one of the great saints in Kashmiri history. One story tells how Nundrishi as a child refused to be breastfed by his own mother, only taking his sustenance from Lal-Ded instead. A story that should probably be read allegorically to indicate that Lal-Ded was a major influence on his spiritual development. Some have even suggested that she might have been a teacher of sorts for the younger Sufi. I think the relationship between these two figures is fascinating. It, it really offers a very concrete example of the interreligious dialogue that were taking place in many regions and in this region in particular at this time. How figures from these different religions could see the, the commonalities between these religions and through that be able to inspire and, and, have, and instigate dialogue between each other where they could influence and inspire each other. I think it's really fascinating. But for these reasons, Lal Dead is claimed by different communities. The Sufis of the Rishi order see her as one of their own foundational figures, due to her relationship with people like Nundrishi, whereas Shaivas and Hindus claim her for themselves. It can often become a political discussion in that way, but as we've seen, the situation is a bit more complicated than that. Lala is thus given many different names. Lal Dead, which is a very universally accepted one, means something like Mother Lal or Mother Lala. Others call her Lala Shwari, and still others call her Lala Arifa, meaning something like Lala the Knower or Lala the Gnostic in Arabic. Regardless what name she goes by, her vaks or poems, her utterances have been spread and transmitted by people from different cultural and and religious backgrounds in Kashmir as representing one of the absolute treasures of Kashmiri literature. Lala died somewhere around 1373 her legacy still lives on in Kashmir and around the world as an inspirational figure to people of all walks of life, cultures, and religions. I'll see you next time.
0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. shopify.com work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.